At the end of last week's episode, I mentioned that there would be a special guest coming on the show, and that is happening this week. This special guest knows her stuff when it comes to teaching reading and the best practices, especially when keeping your students with learning disabilities in mind. Without further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce who our guest is. Ray Pritchett is a curriculum author and special education facilitator specializing in the area of teaching reading to students with learning disabilities. Ray is a passionate educator with more than 20 years of teaching experience. She holds a master's degree in education, a CAGS in educational leadership, and is a certified dyslexia practitioner. In her free time, she enjoys reading, researching, writing, hiking, exploring, and spending time with her husband and their chihuahua. Ray shares her knowledge of teaching reading to students with learning disabilities on her blog and by teaching education courses through the Learning Tree Professional Development Network, LLC, an online teaching college Ray co-owns with her teacher husband. This episode is filled with so many incredible ideas and tips that are going to help you become more intentional with teaching reading and being an advocate for your students. If you are ready to dive into the conversation that I got to have with Ray, we will meet you inside. Welcome to The Literacy Dive, a podcast for teachers who want to take a deeper dive into all things reading and writing. I'm your host, Megan Polk. My number one passion is, you guessed it, all things literacy and supporting teachers like you. Join me each week to learn teacher tips and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you grow as an educator. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Literacy Dive podcast. And as I shared in the introduction, we have a special guest that I'm so excited to bring onto the show. And so, Ray, thank you so much for being here. And before we dive into our topic today, could you please introduce yourself and just share a little bit more about who you are for our audience? Yeah. Hi. So thank you for having me. Side note real quick. I was I was super excited when I got your DM because I was fangirling slightly, maybe more than slightly. You were one of the first person I followed on Teacher P Teacher. And, and then when I found you on Instagram, I was like, oh, you're so amazing. So that was my side note. <laughs> so my mom's a teacher. I guess it's kind of in my blood, but I was totally that like arrogant high school kid that was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. I'm never going to do what my mom does. Went to college for English literature. That was my major. I just loved reading and writing. You graduate college and then you're like, what are you going to do with that? Really? Um, so fell yes. into teaching. And my first experience just happened to be in special education. It was in a public therapeutic day school. And I just fell in love with it and have never looked back since. At that time, I was teaching everything. So we were teaching all subjects. And it was um, the students that were in that school where it was a public school, but they were identified with social, emotional, or, or mental health or behavioral challenges. And I just found that the best way to connect with them was really through the academic content. And it just was the vehicle to really, you know, build those relationships. But also once I started really giving them that academic knowledge, you could see a lot of those behaviors went away. A lot of it was, you know, just kind of this wall that they were putting up or some other struggles. And it was just easier to have the behaviors as opposed to, you know, do the daily struggle. 
So once, you know, I got into that and I saw, you know, that and saw how much progress I could make with students, I went into it a little more. more. So I've since gotten my master's, I have a CAGS, and I got certified as a dyslexia practitioner. And now I work as a, a special education facilitator. Wow. I'm so impressed by you. And you are so kind to even share that because literally when I found that you existed, I have been a fangirl of your account. (laughs) You have so many practical tips and just reminders. And you're such an advocate for, you know, your practice and for your craft and for students. And so that is something that I really loved. And I was like, you know what? After a few months, I was like, I'm going to reach out and just see if she is interested in coming on and sharing because you are just a wealth of knowledge. Well, thank you. I love something else you had said because it is so true. I told you briefly how I was able to work with intervention and also work with students and serve them with dyslexia. And you are so right. A lot of the time you can build that relationship through the academic piece. And when you are behind helping those kids find success and helping them, you know, be able to see the world in a whole different way, because now they can read and they can write and they can be able to problem solve and things like that, it really is a catalyst for change. So I love that you shared that that is the piece that can honestly help a lot of academic, the gaps there, but also the behavioral, it can improve behavior so much. Absolutely. So true. Love it. So as I told you all in the introduction, we are going to be talking about dyslexia. And I know that this is a topic that most all of you are probably able to identify with just because of the amount of students who are diagnosed or who might be not diagnosed at this time. And so I just want to start off by asking you, whenever we go into topics, honestly, about anything, I love starting with just like, let's define it. Let's just be on the same page with what we are talking about. So that way, once we start sharing all kinds of tips and ideas, you know exactly what we're referring to. So could you just first start off and share with everyone, what is dyslexia? Absolutely. I agree. It's a great starting point. And I'm a big proponent of knowledge is power. So understanding what something is before you can even, you know, address it or target it is is very important. So I shared my day job or by day, I am a special education facilitator. So it's just a really a fancy role for basically what I do is I oversee compliance of all the IEPs in the school and I chair all the IEP meetings. So I actually have the dyslexia definition taped to my computer because I feel like it's really important when we start to have these conversations with parents as well for them to have the formal definition. And then we kind of go in and and we can unpack that for what that means for their child. So we can kind of do that same thing today as long as it's okay with you, but I'll read the, the formal definition and we can kind of unpack that if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. This is the generally widely accepted definition. So it's dyslexia is a specific learning disability that is neurobiological in origin. It is characterized by difficulties with accurate and or fluent word recognition and by poor spelling and decoding abilities. These difficulties typically result from a deficit in the phonological component of language that is often unexpected in relation to other cognitive abilities and the provision of effective classroom instruction. Secondary consequences may include problems in reading comprehension and reduced reading experience that can impede growth of vocabulary and background knowledge. So that's the the big formal definition, but let's kind of unpack that a little bit. So basically it's dyslexia, it's unexpected difficulty in reading, unexpected in relation to a student's cognitive ability. So what you would expect them to be able to learn and, and acquire unexpected in terms of their motivation. Most kids come into school really wanting to learn and, and learn to read. And it's exciting when you get to learn to read. And then also unexpected in terms of exposure to reasonably effective reading instruction. So that's kind of getting into that piece of, have they been in school consistently? Have they been provided with that good tier one? 
It's also highly hereditary in nature. And I think that that's something that parents really need to share with us from day one and, and nothing, you know, we don't, not to put a label on their child, but just so that we can kind of monitor that. Research has shown that you actually have a 50% chance of diagnosis when a parent or a sibling has dyslexia as well. So it is good for teachers to know that. The impact is obviously different on each person and each student looks different in the classroom, but in general, the core weakness in dyslexia related to their, the student's accurate and efficient pairing between those sounds and words. So that like phonological processing and those corresponding letter and letter patterns. So as a result, that's why you see the lagging skills in word recognition, decoding, just overall fluency and, and kind of that overall and, and spelling as well. And then with that said, that last piece in that definition talks about when they are struggling with that word recognition and decoding. As a result, they're not being exposed to as many expository and narrative texts. And as a result, that kind of impacts background knowledge and vocabulary. So you get into that kind of cycle, which the goal is obviously to avoid that. It is neurological disability. The exact causes is unclear. Something kind of, I guess, pretty exciting in the last, the research that's being shared, and it's actually coming out to teachers more often now, is the brain imaging of the dyslexic brain shows that those differences in the way that the brain develops and functions. And specifically, they really found that the difficulties lie in identifying those separate speech sounds within a word and then learning how letters represent those sounds. So that's kind of what you know we see the most often, and that's kind of the biggest impact of it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I will say, because I mean, I got sent to an amazing facility to be able to get trained to be able to work with kids with dyslexia. But I will tell you prior to my school investing in me, because it was definitely an investment, a cost that Mm -hmm. came with that. There was not any type of formalized training about dyslexia. And I've, I never heard anything as thorough as that type of definition of what this is. And so I can see how it'll be so difficult for teachers to even know the characteristics or the causes or or what this is. So thank you so much for that definition, because if there are any teachers out there, like I was prior to going to my training, you've just not heard that at all, but it is very prevalent and prominent. And we need to be just very mindful that students are definitely entering your classroom with dyslexia and we have to be able mm-hmm. to support them. So moving on to that, and you definitely gave us some key features of what dyslexia is, but what are some other things that dyslexia looks like? So when teachers are in their classroom, what does dyslexia look like inside of the classroom? That's such a great question because we do see a lot of, we, we see struggles throughout the day, obviously, and, and, yes. and some are typical struggles and we want to kind of monitor and, and keep an eye on those. We used to think that dyslexia was really visual in nature. So we'd always refer to the students with their letter reversals or seeing or reading words backwards. Some students, you know, write words backwards or that letter confusion, like the, the BD and the PQs. But with, with the kind of connecting back to that brain imaging, we now know that it's not a visual disability, but rather it's a language-based disability. So the visual, quote unquote, issues that we see in the classroom are actually their difficulties with recalling those letter symbols for sounds and the letter patterns in words. So when students are going to spell, you're going to see that difficulty with the recall or the confusion, but the confusion might not be necessarily the visual piece, but more they don't recall which one goes first. You might see some difficulties with learning to speak. A lot of students with early intervention in speech and language, we want to definitely monitor. Students that struggle to learn letters and sounds 
ones that struggle with their organization in written and spoken language as well. Pretty early on, you can see students that have difficulty memorizing things like number facts, songs, or sequences like their ABCs or days of the week. Students that the decoding is taking so long that it's really impacting the comprehension. At the later years, you know, learning a foreign language is impacted, difficulty with rhyming words. In the beginning, again, that trouble recognizing the words that have that same beginning sounds or words that rhyme remembering names of places and people, and then remembering the word retrieval kind of things and those recalling of spoken directions as well. Okay. So you have given us way more than (laughs) I think, because again, I'm speaking from personal experience when you are not, you know, given any type of insight on what dyslexia is prior to me going to my training, I literally thought, okay, if they are reversing like the Mm -hmm. BD, or if they are, you know, flipping a word, like that was all, but thank you. You have shared so many other types of signs that could come up with those students that might be beyond the BD. So thank you so much for sharing that. Teachers, if you are listening, like these are common things that you could be looking for that you should be aware of. And so Ray, if they were to start seeing some of these behaviors in students, what can teachers do if they notice these potential signs? What would you recommend would be the next step or the the action piece to take with this information? Great question. So, you know, dyslexia is prevalent. They estimate about one out of every five students has a language-based learning disability in the classroom. However, that does not mean that every student requires special education services. So I think one of the hugest most exciting things for me when the science of reading push kind of really started and, and became a, a big topic of conversation and kind of this term that we're all talking about was to see how great everything that it brings to the table is good for all students. And it's funny because we've kind of started talking about structured literacy and structured literacy instruction as part of the science of reading and what does that encompass. And it entails a lot of very explicit instruction, very diagnostic and teaching and very systematic and cumulative. And those are all the things that we've taught for students with dyslexia for years, or we've used for students with dyslexia for years. So just our general curriculum and instruction, as we start to strengthen that based on the research, I think that is going to be huge and is really going to be a huge help for all students, but especially the students with dyslexia as well. So that's one piece. The other piece I would say is that with that same push with the students that we are identifying who require special education services, we're really being much more mindful and more diagnostic in our goal areas as well. So we're really getting to say, you know, previously you might see a student come to you with a reading goal, and that's pretty general. But now you might see a student come with phonemic awareness, and then their objectives are really broken down on those specific skills that they need. So I guess to answer your question is you need all of these things to come together. So I kind of use a three-step approach. It's just kind of the way that I do things. So you start that first step with building that student profile. So looking at each component of reading. Like I said previously, we might identify they need help in reading, but now we can really pinpoint where their reading is falling apart or where their skills are lagging so that we can build those up to build the entire reading profile. So when I build a student profile, I assess them in all five areas of reading. So you want to look at that phonemic awareness, that alphabetic principle, fluency, vocabulary, comprehension, and you want to look at spelling as well. And then from there, you can compile this profile of a student. And obviously you want to consider the whole child too. So there's some social emotional factors in there and in the cognitive piece as well. But then you can really tease out these are the areas that are lagging, you know, start with those core foundational skills. And if that's where they're lagging, start there and 
target, explicitly target those skills, and then you will see huge movements across the board. And then really with that direct instruction, the last piece is, or the third step is to really provide that direct instruction. But with that said, you're not, you know, if the lagging skill is just in phonemic awareness, you don't want to just teach them phonemic awareness, tie in some other pieces. So phonics, tie in fluency while you're teaching those things so that you're really kind of getting the most bang for your buck. And like I said, it really, the science of reading has been such a huge, exciting push. So all of those things that are coming in the forefront for all students really are beneficial, especially beneficial for our students with dyslexia. Oh, that is so great. And I know I felt the same way when I saw like the science of reading push as well, because as I started seeing more posts circulate, I was like, wait a minute, this is what I was trained in to help my students with dyslexia. And some of my other students that had different types of learning disabilities. And so my immediate like, you know, reaction was just like tears of joy because I have my students for 45 minutes, you know, when I would pull them out, but now I got to take them back to class And they could be in an environment that would be conducive to helping the way that they need to learn language. And it's good for all students, no matter if you are diagnosed or not. And so it was just a really, really amazing to see that that push as well for that term, because it's really just going to support a lot of those kids who need that extra support. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So with all of that, thank you so much for sharing like what we should do with it, because I think it's, it's really big and major that if you do see students with just anything that might just heighten your attention to like, huh, I wonder, you definitely need to build that profile because I know that before we would have meetings with parents and do official screens with our diagnosticians, we had to show that there was a certain amount of data that we could present and say, this is the first day that we saw this. This is what we've tried. This is what we've noticed on checkpoints and assessments. And so if you notice that you have students that are displaying any type of something that's peaking like, huh, I think there might be a little something that that might be here. It's really important for you to start that student profile. It's only going to help that student in the end. The more information that you have, the better you can be able to get that child on. What I'm honestly going to say is like a wait list. You know, it literally is like a wait list depending on where you live. But I know we were in the biggest district in Houston and, you know, it could take months before a diagnostician could come and officially assess. And so, you know, that is just something that's really amazing that you all can do for those students. Absolutely. That's such a good point because you're right. And and that whole wait and see thing doesn't, doesn't work for our students. We know that we have to get in there and that early intervention is so key. So with those assessments, we can identify and kind of step in immediately and, and really target those lagging skills. And like you said, if they're responding to that instruction, then great, we're sealing up those skills and they're getting to move along, even if they're still in the process and we're keeping an eye on them, but we're at least, you know, sealing up some of those lagging skills so that they don't have to wait as long to get that intervention. Exactly. I love it. Okay. So kind of like shifting gears a little bit, could you give some of just your best tips or ideas on how teachers can design their reading instruction for students with learning disabilities in their classrooms? Absolutely. So I think, again, I kind of go through that three-step approach. I start with building the student profile. I really use specific screeners. A lot of times in special education, we do these kind of global tests or even our universal screeners kind of give us these global tests where we're able to kind of flag our students, if you will, for the students that need intervention. But then when I come down to actual instruction, I just don't know specific skills of what to target without kind of really delving into that. So with that profile, I kind of look at for specific assessments that can target the exact skills so that I know when I go to build my instruction, I know exactly where I'm targeting that. And then that next step, again, is to kind of look at where is the biggest deficit. 
I use a diagnostic reading tree and I kind of start backwards. So I start with if our end goal is reading comprehension, let's go back from there. So if that's lagging, then let's look at fluency. If fluency is lagging, is it the decoding? If the decoding's on par and on grade level, then I'm really just really needing to work on fluency and then comprehension. So that kind of helps me target the specific lagging skills. And like I said, I do, uh, I'm a huge proponent of early intervention. I think you pull those kids in immediately. And I don't just focus on their lagging skills, but focus on all the aspects of reading so that we can kind of keep them moving along and, and not falling any further behind and not creating any gaps, if you will. Okay. No, that's amazing. It's like when you hear it, it's like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. You know, it does seem so simple. Even as you're saying it, you're like, I I feel like I'm not teaching you anything or I'm not sharing anything too revolutionary, but you're absolutely right. It's like, and and just having these conversations to, to validate sometimes is, I mean, teachers do so much on their everyday and, you know, minute to minute, there's just so much that happens that you're not always taking credit for, or even aware of that you do. And you probably do a lot of these assessments at the beginning of the year too, but they're very valid and you can use them to target, you know, the specific skills. So we do a ton of stuff that we don't get enough credit for, I think a lot of times. And then we also do a ton of stuff that we could be more productive with as well. Absolutely. Oh, I totally agree with that. Totally agree. So now that we're talking about like teaching and like the instruction of teaching reading, what about the evaluation piece? What types of evaluations can be able to support reading instruction that teachers can maybe get a little bit of insight into? Great question. So I like to assess in all of the areas of reading. I think it just gives a good reading profile of the student. Again, if, you know, if they meet masters and phonemic awareness, then maybe I don't look at that again. And, and I, you know, only can continually assess phonics or wherever it is. But I do like to start with a good baseline. For phonemic awareness, the past assessment is, it's a free assessment. It's one of my favorite. It was made by Kilpatrick, who is also a very, a big name in the the science of reading world. It was developed by him, I should say. And it it looks at the basic levels of phonemic awareness. So, you know, the blending and segmenting, but it also gets into those advanced levels of deletion and substitutions, which students really need to be able to be really effective readers. So the past for phonemic awareness is my um, definite go-to. For phonics, they like the WIST is a great one. It looks at both phonetically regular and phonetically irregular words. So we can look at, you know, a combination of are they learning their sounds? Are they applying them? Another good one is the core phonics survey and letters also has a good one as well. Fluency, I'm a big, huge fan of Dibbles. Dibbles is a great reassessment. You can get it online. Their subtests can actually be used as dyslexia screeners too. So Dibbles is just a great one. Uh, vocabulary, I have yet to find anything beyond the core vocabulary screener, but it is wonderful. It's such a good one. I don't think we assess vocabulary enough. I, I think it just falls by the wayside, but it is such an important skill and such an important piece to read and comprehension that it's very important to look at. And for comprehension, one of there are tons of different things out there, but the cubed narrative language measure in reading is just, I can't, I just love it. It's going to do a rubric of you know how a student retells a story how they answer concrete questions, how they answer inferential questions. It just really breaks it down and and allows you to kind of target their exact weaknesses and their strengths as well to utilize them. And then for spelling, I like the WIST as well, which looks at both the irregular and regular phonetic spellings of things. Okay. So this is incredible because they're literally right now is offered to you a next step. You know, I love being honest with my audience, whether it is on this podcast or whether it's through written format on Instagram. But I will say that I did not pay attention to the importance of pulling data like this 
and taking the time to really get to know the whole child and to be able to know what to focus on. I think too often we plan a lesson and we give it to our whole class, but the whole class does not need that. It's so important to kind of think about, well, where is someone having deficits? And let me try to target that instruction for them in that way. And so right here offered to you a variety of different, most I think I heard are free, if not all, but free resources that you could be able to use and start building this profile on your students. So that is so, so helpful and so handy. The key is evaluation and just knowing that you have to pull and have this information on your students before you can really think about what is the best way that I can support them. Okay, so let's just talk about best practices. When it comes to best practices, can you just dive in and share what teachers can keep top of mind when it comes to teaching reading or thinking about these different elements within their classroom? Yeah, absolutely. So I, one of my favorite quotes, I'm a big, I love quotes, but one of my favorite things to say is knowledge is power. So I will always start with that. Just having the knowledge and understanding of it, that's just a huge piece. And that's just the first step. And then you can operationalize that knowledge once you have it. So that, that would be the first step I would say. And that's probably the best practice. Previous approaches to instruction, like balanced literacy that we, we were using have not been as effective for students. So with this rise and push of, of the science of reading, the structured literacy approach has really been emerging. And I think that that is just, you know, having that knowledge and power kind of going forward is, is giving it to our students as well. So that would be one of the biggest things. The second piece, I think, is that intervention, like we both said, probably at a nauseating amount, but it's okay. It's so important. <laughs> it's just, I think it's very important, especially that early on piece. Like you said, that waiting and, and having to wait for months sometimes in some of the big cities, it's just, it's mind blowing to me and it, it's not okay. And the problem does need to be addressed. But, you know, what, what can we do on the everyday? And that early intervention is so key. There's actually research that shows that students beyond the age of eight require a higher degree of intervention and are less likely to be brought into the average range. So it's so important to jump in there and, and the dyslexia laws have kind of start or guidance have kind of started that. So that will be a huge thing too. But with your intervention, I would say the biggest piece that you can put into practice, you know, today or tomorrow is multi-sensory teaching. Multi-sensory instruction is huge for students with dyslexia. It really helps them to solidify that those lagging skills. Like we said, they struggle with that knowledge of speech sounds and their corresponding print and being able to make those connections. So that multi-sensory piece is huge because, you know, if you think about it, it's get the visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and tactile. So if we can include all of those in our lessons every day, that really helps to make conscious organization and, and retain skills for, for a longer time. So something as simple as if, you know, you're practicing letter sound correspondence, have the students say the letter name, have them say the sound, say the letter B, maybe they write the letter B in the air. They could pretend to swing a bat while they say the, the you know, keyword, which would be bat for B, but kind of incorporating all of those things to help make those connections. And then the last thing is simple accommodations in the classroom. You'd be surprised at the hurdles that they can remove for students. And that's so important, you know, especially for students with dyslexia, extended time is huge. They might need a little bit longer time to, you know, read a story. Maybe they take little doodles to help them remember what they read about. But that extended time piece is huge. Visuals paired with verbals. So if you're giving directions, if you can have, you know, pictures on the board of, of each step or even just the, you know, by the time students can read, having the verbals up there is still okay so that they can go back and read those off. Something that, you know, one of the reasons that I, I first started following you on Teacher Pay Teacher was your writing resources. Those are huge to have for students. 
to be able to go and, you know, just when you're struggling with a word or a spelling of word, having those resources to not slow you down and, and, you know, so that you can keep going with your creative thoughts and, and having those templates and all of those things are so important for students. And then the audiobooks are huge too for, for the social piece and academic as well. You know, how often do you see those kids with the, with the giant books sitting on their desk, but they're not reading them, but all the other kids in class are reading them. So you want to be able to make those connections with students, both socially and with the content as well. And then assistive technology has been huge for students. And it's so simple in the classroom with so many classrooms getting the one-to-one devices too, you can do text-to-speech, speech-to-text. There's just so many options. So many of the things are, are very simple that you can kind of you know go out and start tomorrow if you want and just choose one and, and it makes a huge difference. And I honestly say thank you for sharing those because I had to do, and I mean, part of part of your page too, it was like helping because when you have these kids, it's like, oh my gosh, I can try this. I can try this. I can try that. And you will see that the frustration that you feel or the, you know, overwhelm that you're feeling, well, imagine your student, it's multiplied by, you know, a very big number. But when you can start providing those supports for them, they start, you know, showing improvement, you start becoming less frustrated. And then you'll also find that like other students wanted to use it too. And I'm like, listen, we are, we are a classroom. Like this is for everybody. Mm -hmm. And then that student is no longer singled out. And it just, it really does just help so much to be able to use those different types of accommodations and also just keeping in mind those best practices. Absolutely. And I love that you said that, you know, you bring in the other students too, because you're right. All the students, you know, when somebody gets a wiggle seat in the classroom, everyone wants to use it and everyone wants to see it and just it might benefit somebody else. So absolutely. And just kind of making them the norm. And and I love that part. Yes. This is so amazing. Well, thank you so much for all of this information, but I do not want to end it just yet. So your Instagram and you can find her at Miss Ray's room. It's going to be tagged in the show notes, but your Instagram is incredible. It's amazing. Like I said, I followed it and went down just like a rabbit hole, like (laughs) just scrolling and scrolling and reading and seeing how many teachers would be commenting, like, this is so helpful. I had no idea. And like, you just bring this just enormous amount of insight, but also in a way that we can understand. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's not super just like, you know, big textbook where it's like, what do these words mean? Like you break things down in such a great way. I mean, I have your Instagram just in my head because when I get teachers who are sending me DMs, I'm usually copy pasting your page being like, this is a great place to go and learn. So it's amazing. And you have so many practical, so many useful posts. They encourage and teach teachers a little bit more about reading and working with students with learning disabilities. It's just great. So I did see a post and it really intrigued me because even me, I got, you know, trained with the beginnings of being able to service students with dyslexia, But unless I've just kind of like zoned out, I learned from your post about the subtypes of dyslexia. And like I said, I know that there are different key parts that can deem a student as being diagnosed with, yes, neurologically, like this is dyslexia, but I loved how you broke it apart. So if you would not mind, would you share about those common subtypes? I know that one was the phonological deficit and then the naming speed deficit, but I know that you break it apart a lot better. <laughs> so just sharing what those are and how each of those will impact our students when it does come to reading, just to kind of help teachers to learn a little more. Yeah, absolutely. So I know even when I, I remember first learning about dyslexia, I didn't even realize that there were different types. I just thought, okay, it's a specific learning disability around word reading, but yet there are actually different types of it. So the most common subtypes are there's the phonological subtype. 
And what that impacts is phonemic awareness, mostly along with decoding and then sight word and passage accuracy. So really that phonemic awareness, I think what I was mentioning earlier, the basic skills of, of segmenting and blending, you might start to see students struggle with that. But then as that phonemic awareness really gets into, you know, having to shift between unknown words or different words with different patterns, it gets a little bit harder. And you're looking for more of those advanced phonemic awareness skills where you're deleting sounds and adding new sounds and substituting sounds. And that's where that subtype of dyslexia really starts to break down is in that phonological piece. And then what gets impacted is the decoding and the sight word and the passage accuracy. Another subtype is the naming speed subtype, which impacts the rapid automatized naming, which is kind of something that we didn't really talk about in the past ever. Nope. (laughs) But it's basically like letter naming fluency. How quickly a student can, you know, identify colors and and say their names, letters, numbers, things that should be more fluent for a student. If, you know, they should be able to efficiently recall them and accurately and quickly retrieve them. So the naming speed subtype is actually, that's what gets impacted is that quick recall and automaticity. The decoding efficiency, because that that quick recall again, the sight word efficiency and that passage fluency, again, that, that quickness. And then double deficit subtype is when both of those impairments exist. So there's both the phonological piece and then there's the naming speed piece. So a lot of times the phonological piece is when you're kind of addressing students that are working on their phonemic awareness, their phonics, kind of those basic uh, word reading skills. The naming speed, you might not really even identify until students get into more of that fluency. So second, third grade is that really starts to impact them. It takes them a longer time to read a passage. And then as a result, the comprehension is impacted. But that double deficit is is really both realms of it. So we've got a lot to to work on there. But again, it doesn't mean that they can't learn. And and just because you have a diagnosis of dyslexia, it does not mean that you you won't make progress and you won't be able to read successfully one day. You definitely will be able to. I love that. Thank you so much for explaining that. Well, now that we are kind of wrapping up, are there any just final tips or reminders, words of encouragement that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with students with disabilities is that we have to remember it does take a village. And I and I know we say it in here, but it truly does. It's a team effort. It gets really hard as a special education teacher because I think you take a lot of it on yourself. Or as a classroom teacher, you're taking a lot of it on yourself, especially if you, if a student hasn't been identified for needing special ed services yet. So we put so much on ourselves, but remember, you know, it does take a village and it does, and we have all these experts within our schools. So, you know, the social emotional piece does definitely impact students with learning disabilities. So that's a key factor. So bring in your school counselor, you know, reach out to the special education teachers, even if a student hasn't been identified for help with strategies or accommodations or anything we are all in this together and, you know, we definitely all have our own expertise. And even if it's a student with dyslexia, it's not just the special education teacher that could have some expertise in that. So definitely, you know, use your resources and and make sure that we're cognizant of the whole child, but also reaching out for everyone to support the whole child. Love that. That's such a great way to just like, I mean, I don't know, hearing that I'm just like, oh, okay, I I can do it, you know? (laughs) And I, I know that teachers are feeling the same thing because it is, it's a lot, but I think that when we know the impact that this is going to have on so many lives, again, with thinking about the early intervention, I mean, this is just going to be just, I'm imagining what schools are going to look like five years from now. I know. I can't wait. (laughs) Oh gosh. Okay. Right. It has been amazing chatting with you today. And I am sure our listeners feel the same way. And they are probably just like bummed that we are wrapping this up. 
And I know that if they are like me, they're going to be like, where can I stay connected with this lady? I mean, because <laughs> you have just so many things to share. So could you share the different ways, platforms that our audience can be able to stay connected with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a blog. It's MissRaysRoom.com. I have everything on there. It's a wealth of information. You can follow me on Instagram, also at MissRaysRoom. I'm on Teacher Pay Teachers, also at Miss Ray's Room. My focus is resources and strategies for teaching students with learning disabilities. They are chock full of resources. I have a new ebook out. It's called The Teacher's Guide to Designing Reading Instruction for Students with Learning Disabilities. You can find that on my blog, and it does have my three-step approach in there as well. And I teach courses through the Learning Tree Professional Development Network that I actually co-own with my teacher husband as well. So that's tltpdn.com. That is incredible. And I was actually able to look through that website, the Learning Tree Professional Development Network. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is incredible. Just a resource for, we all need our education credits. Yep, absolutely. It is so hard, you know, well, you know, hard to get them or you're limited to try to getting them from your district where, you know, it's just a matter of the fluff. So (laughs) when I looked through your things, I was like, oh, this is definitely something I would be contacting my admin about, you know, because what I love telling teachers is like, there are definite resources out there. And a lot of the time, your schools do have a budget for professional development. And all you have to do is ask. The worst they can say is no, or not at this time, or maybe we can, you know, split or whatever that looks like. But, you know, do not always think that you have to come out of pocket. I love telling them, just ask. They have a budget and you might be pleasantly surprised if you're the only one asking, you probably can go to any training that you want to go to. So that's so true. I love that. You're absolutely right. Worst they can say is no. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I love that you offer those. So thank you so much again for giving your time, for coming on the show, for sharing your expertise, knowledge around this topic of dyslexia and learning disabilities. I'm so grateful that you came on and I hope to bring you on again soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Well, we love hearing from you. And so again, you can follow her. Everything will be in the show notes. Be sure to check those out to stay connected. And I cannot wait to chat with you all again next Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Come hang out with me over on Instagram at The Literacy Dive. I would love to hear from you in my DMs. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to hit that follow button and share this with a friend. I'll catch you in the next episode.